0: Welcome to Banyan Books, Branches of Wisdom. Celebrating the joy of bright ideas and heartful lifelong learning. Branches of Wisdom is a series of intimate conversations with the world's most influential authors and visionaries. We explore spirituality and the human mind, ecology and culture. Most episodes are recorded with a live audience. You can join our live events and submit questions to your favorite guests. Check out our upcoming schedule at banyan.com. Since 1970, Banyan Books has been a rich oasis at the crossroads of wisdom and philosophy, offering resources for humanity's evolving paths. We're a locally owned, independent bookstore in the heart of Vancouver's Kitsilano neighborhood. Visit us in person or shop online at banyan.com. Please subscribe follow, like, and leave your reviews for the podcast. And now, enjoy. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Banyan Books podcast. I'm your host, Ross McKeechee. Our guest this evening is David Rico, PhD, who is a psychotherapist, teacher, writer, and workshop leader whose work emphasizes the benefits of mindfulness And loving kindness and personal growth and emotional well being. He combines Jungian, poetic, and mythic perspectives in his work with the intention of integrating the psychological and the spiritual. His books and workshops include attention to Buddhist and Christian spiritual practices. Rico is the author of over 20 books, including the best selling How to Be an Adult in Relationships, The Five Things We Cannot Change. And triggers. And today, David Rico is with Banyan Books in conversation about his latest book, which is titled Ready How to Know When to Go and When to Stay. It's a fantastic book, and I'll tell you a little bit about it. So, Ready is a guide to finding your perfect timing for life's biggest decisions, whether to stay or go in relationships, jobs, locations, and everything that matters most. Do we stay in what we know? Or is it the right time to leave and make a change? In more than 50 years as a psychotherapist, David Rico has been asked versions of this question more than any other. He has coached countless people of all ages through agonizing decisions related to their partnerships, their career, their home, their faith. In Ready, he shares the deep wisdom we need to make these decisions and feel confident in following through. The book also looks at the mystery of timing, why we stay too long, why we leave too soon, and what it feels like when the timing is right. If you'd like to learn more about our guest today, you can visit his website, which is daverico.com. That's d-a-v-e-r-i-c-h-o.com. com. Banyan community, please join me in a really warm welcome for Dave Rico. Dave, thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you. So you say that in your 50 plus years work as a psychotherapist, one issue has come up with clients more than any other, staying too long in what doesn't work. And then you say, on the other hand, there are times in life when we don't stay long enough. So these are the two possibilities of the question of whether to stay or go. I'm wondering just for our audience so that they help them enter this topic. Can you sort of expand on this a little bit to help them understand what we're talking about?
1: Yes. Um, First, I want to say that this does not, the book does not uh, focus only on stay and go with regard to relationships, but as you mentioned before, it has to do with any question in life that um, activates you to make some kind of movement or recommends that the time has come to pull back and retreat for a while so this could refer to you know retirement is this the time for it it could refer to uh, a change in how you relate to your family to your work to your religion uh, to politics because our life is a series of movements and some are forward into the next chapter and some are deepening into the chapter that we're in. And when I was writing the book, the, the topic that um, fascinated me the most was not the question of, is it about going or staying? the most wonderful topic for me was timing. It's a mysterious grace that comes to us. Uh, You just wake up one morning and you know today's the day and you didn't wake up that way the day before. And if you wait for the next day, you may miss the opportunity. So I was very uh, taken with this, whole idea of timing and how it seems to be in, um, in a realm that we have no control over. So when you have a friend and you're recommending, Isn't it, hasn't, shouldn't you be making such and such a move, that kind of statement doesn't really respect the fact that we can't make a move until we're personally ready. And ready is more than just you're equipped to make the move, or you want to make the move, or you have no choice and have to make the move. Ready also means it feels right all over, and it feels as if the universe itself is joining me in this next step. So it has that sense of accompaniment, which to me is the essence not only of our Buddhist practice, but also of our religious traditions, summarized beautifully in the 23rd Psalm. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, so he made the decision to walk through, to go, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, because you are with me. That you is the mystery of timing. So when you feel accompanied by the universe uh, readying you to make the move or go deeper, when that happens, it's the experience of grace. The gift dimension of life. So that's what made this writing of this book so uh, wonderful an experience for me.
0: Beautiful, <clears throat> and, and it and it's it is a it's a, such a beautiful book, and also so practical and like usable. Like I could I could pick up this book anytime and refer to a section on one of the obstacles and and different tools and practices to help move through it. So that's, that's one thing that I really appreciated about it. Now in the first chapter, uh, which is titled what makes it so difficult to go? One of the reasons that you name and you name a number of them that we run up against for it being so difficult to leave a situation that we likely should is that we believe we are here to endure Rather than to be happy. In that section, you write no situation or relationship produces happiness every minute. When a low dividend of happiness comes our way, we can temporarily reconcile ourselves to it. But at the same time, we remain on target when we keep seeking a higher dividend, anyways. And then you highlight the words at the same time give us a clue to the difference between a healthy tolerance of pain and an unhealthy enduring of pain. So I'm wondering if if you can help us explore more deeply that that difference between healthy and unhealthy toleration of pain in terms of enduring a situation. First of
1: all, um, I'm glad you brought up this question because so many of us were brought up with the belief that the purpose of our life is to endure whatever pain comes our way and to stay put in painful relationships or in painful situations in jobs or in life in general, and that we are successful when we endure. And of course, this word endure comes from two Latin words. The dur part means hard. And so what happens is, You harden your own spirit when you choose to endure. And the alternative is, I'm here to be happy. And this of course sounds like selfishness, sounds like narcissism, but that's because of all the training in how we're here to tolerate, to endure. Uh, but when you say, I'm here to be happy, it could also include, as you just brought up, times when um, the happiness is not at the forefront, you're going through a difficult experience, and you're tolerating the pain that goes with that, because ultimately, you um, You're headed into, um, a new way of being like in a relationship. So it's painful to go through the time in a relationship when there's been a betrayal, when your partner, for instance, has been unfaithful and now you're going to therapy to see if you can work something out rather than just break up which is what the ego jumps to first, but um, that, that kind of pain is more like the pain of a medical procedure that's helping you ultimately toward wholeness and health. Whereas the other kind of pain, which is the enduring, is simply staying put because you don't believe you deserve anything better. So the main difference is, I don't believe I deserve anything better. That's the unhealthy enduring. I believe that if I tolerate just this much pain, I will get to the point where things will be better and I can already see that happening. And that gives me hope. That's the healthy style of tolerating. So I'm tolerating the visit to the dentist. And at the end of it, I will have uh, healthier teeth and gums. That's different from I'm just going to put up with uh, a continual toothache. uh, And that isn't going to take me anywhere. See the difference?
0: Yes, yeah, thank you.
1: But the main thing is that the belief is held in every cell of our body. You're not going to remember one of your parents or teacher or priest say you should endure pain. You may not have heard those words, but somehow you got the impression that that's what you were here for especially when you saw that other people were already doing that.
0: That makes me think of the, the practice that you outlined called the sorting practice. Can you tell, tell us a bit about the sorting practice?
1: Uh, yes, I uh, really like that I came up with that idea. What I'm suggesting is that some of what we learned in childhood or in recent life is really no longer appropriate for our level of adult development, and I will give an example. And uh, it's time for us to sort through the beliefs that we inherited either from family, society, school, or religion and to ask ourselves, which ones help me be a person of integrity, healthy expression of love and service to the world? And which ones simply repress me, inhibit me and criticize me? So simple example, kindergarten, and the teacher says, line up And don't talk in line. So I look back at that experience and when she said line up, she was giving me very good advice for a lifetime because all through my life, I will be standing in line at the store, at the bank, wherever I go. I want to be respectful of the line, not try to get ahead of people and not let people get ahead of me. So that was good advice. When she said, don't talk in line, uh, I'm going to sort that one out. I I am not going to follow that when I'm standing in line at the supermarket. I will talk to the person ahead of me or behind me if I want to. So I'm sorting out what is still useful and what is no longer useful. Maybe that's the best summary of it. Yes. And And I have my whole list in here of various ways you can do the sorting. But the most important thing is what is in, what did I receive that helps me grow? and what did i imbibe that only stops me from advancing into my full adulthood so such a message as you're here to endure we definitely want to sort that one out and uh i think you can really do it i think you can sit down and look through the various messages and uh, decide which ones you want to keep keep following. Then yeah. which ones no longer work. Well they maybe never work to begin with.
0: Right, right. <laughs> okay, thanks Dave. And I'm I'm jumping back a little bit here to another one of the of the reasons that you say we stay in situations that we maybe shouldn't. And one is that you you say we are caught in addiction or codependency. Now in that section you write um, our challenge in all this and in any issue regarding leaving a situation that doesn't work is to find a way to transition supportively. This really stood out to me. So I'm wondering if you can talk about what that might actually look like to transition supportively either out of a relationship or a work situation or any other life situation?
1: That if you are leaving a relationship um, for whatever reason, Mm. that you do it with integrity, uh, that you don't ever try to, that you don't ever disregard the sensitive feelings of the other person, that you make the change very respectfully of others' um, worldview that may not be able to accommodate your choice. So, for instance, if you are uh, telling your family who who are um, who are. Um, of course, of another generation, but also um, very um, tied to traditional beliefs that don't accept other lifestyles. And you want to say, um, "I'm going to be marrying someone of my own sex." That you don't just you don't just drop the bomb. You. Uh, supportively try to help them understand your choice and that you're very patient with how long it may take for them to accept you, to accept your choice. So in that sense, um, we're acting responsibly when we make choices because we want to respect the limitations of others in accepting it.
0: Yeah. Sorry. I lost my sound there for one sec. That was why the awkward pause. So well, that was also timing. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to fill up every minute with talking. <laughs> I wasn't sure how long you had stopped for. Now, uh, now, chapter two is what helps us move on. And You talk about situations or relationships where things are, as you say, stubbornly mediocre, insipid, dully dragging on and us with them. You write that things will never be so good as to make us want to stay. They will never be so bad as to make us have to go. Use the term ambivalence to describe our experience when these painful, stifling situations are prolonged. So I'm wondering, I, this seems like such a common thing in our world today to be kind of s- stuck in this sort of mediocre, it's okay, it's not the, the worst, it's not so great either situation. How can, how can, for our audience, how can they properly identify when they're kind of stuck in, a, in mediocrity in a situation where, you know, it's, eh.
1: Well, you wind up with a joyless existence and you're stuck in inertia body at rest tends to stay at rest and the worst thing about it is that it's acting against the central drive in every human which is to make that journey what joseph campbell calls the hero's journey what is what is meant by a hero. A hero is one who um, keeps moving on in accord with his or her or their calling. What is the calling of every human? To um, express the, um, the fullness of who I am in the context of love and integrity. So in order to do that, um, you would have to be making some kind of um, continual um, set of steps that uh, move you along in the process. And you can't do that if you're in those doldrums that you just described or, or worse. If you're keeping yourself in those doldrums and making do. Making do is not the style of an explorer, which is what we're called to be. Explore what? Explore the inner life of ourselves and the world around us so that we can see where we fit in this tapestry of uh, continual evolutionary change. Change in what direction? In the direction of more consciousness, more love, and freedom from the three poisons from the Buddhist point of view, the three poisons of our enlightenment, greed, hate, and ignorance. So I'm here to move away from the primitive impulse toward greed in favor of generosity. I'm here to move away from the primitive impulse toward hate, toward love, to move toward love. And I'm here to move out of the primitive impulse to remain ignorant in favor of accessing inner wisdom. And I also want to bring all three of those into the world around me as my form of service. None of that can happen when you're in inertia. It's saying no to the most exciting of all the possibilities that a human life could possibly face. It's the possibility of becoming sane, spiritual, and saintly. I see those three as our true calling. And by the way, uh, I presume your store has my other book, uh, which is about this topic. It's the one before this one. Um, and, um, I can't think of the title. Triggers?
0: There's, is it triggers? No. Well, it's how, to something be an adult, about, uh, how to be an adult in relationship? No,
1: it's, uh, I know what it is. It's wholeness and holiness. Oh, how to be sane, spiritual, and saintly. Uh, anyway, we maybe we could talk about that one some other time. I'd love that. But anyway, uh, let's go back to your questions.
0: Sure, sure. So okay, we're still we're still talking about being stuck in a situation where it's likely we should be moving on. And one of the things you tell us is very common is we deceive ourselves. There's self deception going on particularly in, in relationships. And you talk about the five A's in relationship, which need to be present for, for a healthy relationship. Can you talk a little bit about the five A's? Because I know these, these uh, work throughout, throughout all of your work, you, you bring attention to these.
1: We begin life with many needs, but there are five that I identified from my own experience, and uh, from my observation of the experience of others. We need attention from our parents or our caretakers. So we begin life with the need for attention, affection, appreciation, in other words, that they value us acceptance of us as we are, and then allowing us to go when the time has come to go. So the first way we went was when we crawled across the floor instead of needing them to carry us across. Then we left home altogether to go to school to learn from others rather than just from our parents. Then adolescence, we went by being rebellious against attitudes we were brought up with, and then we finally left home altogether. So it's been a series of uh, pulling, of weaning ourselves away from having to get these five needs fulfilled by those two little people, mother and father. Then we go into an adult relationship and we look for the very same five. I want someone who pays attention to what I say and feel. I want somebody who appreciates me rather than takes me for granted. I want someone who accepts me just as I am rather than try to make me over into what he or she or they want me to be. I want someone who shows affection appropriately, including sexually, if that is appropriate. And finally, I want someone who allows me to live in accord with my own deepest needs and wishes within the ground rules of the relationship. So I call those the five A's and all of us need them. And we're always on the lookout For the one who can give us those five, or at least four out of five, and we're also wanting to give those to ourselves, and we're also wanting to give those to others. So it's a continual exchange when uh, the ideal conditions are present. And finally, um, the ones you missed out on the most in childhood will be the ones that you crave in adulthood. Difference between craving and wanting. So wanting has a calm feeling to it. I think I want some cauliflower tonight as part of the dinner. Is different from I crave a drink before dinner. We all know the difference between the two feelings. And um, when it's the craving, that points you back to where something must have been missing. And by the way, I gave a talk on this, which is uh, here at the local hospital uh, to therapists and doctors. And it's on my website. It's free and I do recommend if you're interested in this part of the topic, if you wanna watch it, um, just go to my website and uh, on that homepage, it says streaming video
0: and it's a one hour talk um, that pulls a lot of this together. Wonderful, thank you. And again, uh, Dave's website is Dave Rico. R-I-C-H-O.com, com. if you want to find that. Now, we've been talking about being stuck in a situation that we should probably leave. The other side is the possibility that maybe we're facing a situation that we're trying to pull away from too soon. And we really, it's a growth opportunity. We can We can refresh that. do we how do we start to decipher that let's say let's say even that we've come to the realization okay maybe we should stay in this situation but we're still not quite sure where do you recommend for us to kind of start our process of investigation and decision making around that
1: what i recommend in the book um and try to explain each of these three um Addressing, processing, and deciding or resolving. So to address is to look directly at what's happening and to say it out loud. Say the emperor has no clothes. Say we need some help. We need to go to therapy. Say I'm unhappy in this relationship. I want, but I don't want to leave it. I want to have it work better. Addressing means that you openly, directly, and clearly state the state of the union. So that's number one. And uh, right away, uh, half the people are not on board. Because again, we haven't been trained to say it hurts we've been trained to endure. Then secondly, uh, is the processing. Uh, Let's look at our feelings about what's happening. And this doesn't only refer to relationships, it refers to any uh, connection that you have or any situation. Um, Let's look at the feelings that come up around all these issues let's look at how these feelings connect with childhood as i was just explaining and then third what decision can we make so that things will get better and that is happens only when you resolve whatever the original conflict was so i look at how it isn't working with you and we both say how it is and isn't working for us, and we both listen to each other respectfully, then as part of that, we also bring up our feelings and how it somehow reminds us of something from the past, if that's appropriate, and then we work on making a change And it could be that to do these three, address, process, and resolve, we would need help from a therapist. It could be that, or you could do it on your own. Uh, The book has ways of doing it, Uh, but keep in mind that it'll feel threatening when you're not used to acting this way. Calling a spade a spade. We may not be used to doing that. We may instead uh, just sit in silence as things don't work more and more.
0: Ian's asking, what advice would you give to those early in their adulthood about valuing relationships and staying and valuing leaving a relationship? Valuing even... What advice would you give to those in their early- No, no, the last last phrase was what? Oh, so, uh, and valuing leaving a relationship. So advice about valuing relationships and staying and valuing leaving.
1: That both would happen respectfully, as we've been saying. Um, It isn't really advice, it's more um, recommending that everything be done openly. Um, I remember a phrase from history, President Wilson setting up the, what was then the League of Nations, now the UN, open treaties of peace openly arrived at. I've always remembered that phrase, openly arrived at. Um, that you're always wanting to be open about your agenda. Like this is what I'm up to, this is what I'm looking for. I'm not finding this here, but I believe it is here. I believe uh, it can work and so I want to do what it will take so that that can happen. But if it can't work, um, I want to be very sensitive to uh, what it feels like at your end and ask you to be sensitive to what i need to do at my end so it it all um, turns on the idea of respect
0: um there's another question here from ashley She's just wondering if, will this book be turned into an audiobook?
1: book? Uh, yes, I, they are planning that I already uh, heard from them and they are going to put it,
0: do you also sell audiobooks at your store? Um, we sell physical copies of audiobooks. So if it's on CD, uh, we would sell it like that, but we don't sell like the, the MP3s through our website so far. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Maybe yes, it will be. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you. So you can listen
1: to it in the car.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm curious if we can talk a little about a bit about the practice of loving kindness and all of this and the role that it plays. Loving
1: kindness is a practice in Buddhism in which you aspire for happiness. You know, what we talked about before is what may sound selfish, but the... Um, The practice is so beautiful, you can see that it's not about selfishness. So, may I be happy first. We say that first. These are actual aspirations that you can say out loud or silently, or you can just um, enter into the feeling spirit of these statements. And you begin with yourself. And then there are concentric circles around you so around every person is the first circle those are our near and dear second circle are the people that we see every day but we're neutral toward them like the male person the neighbor the teller at the bank the next one are uh, the people that we have difficulties with that we don't like or don't like us. And finally, all beings. So, may I be happy, may those I love be happy, may those around me toward whom I'm neutral be happy, may those I don't like be happy, and may all beings be happy. You see, we're, we're um, uh, affirming and aspiring equally that happiness go to all of us rather than just the ones we like. It is a totally courageous uh, style and I always um, recommend and hopefully do in my own life, when you're having a problem with somebody, include that person in your loving kindness practice. May that person be happy. May that person find Buddha's way. May that person be enlightened. May that person have more and more love in his, her, or their life, Um, rather than, I hope they get theirs. We're not going that way. This is the opposite of the most primitive of all the human inclinations, which is retaliation. So this would be the opposite of that. And as long as your mind is on retaliation, uh, you'll never be ready for full humanness. You'll only be ready for cave people style of living.
0: Thank you. There's a question here from Alan and Alan is asking, What are the signs or indicators that it's time to make a major life change from a situation that works in a lot of ways, but also doesn't work in important ways? Thank
1: you, Alan. That's a very good question. And I do address that in the book at length. Um, Mainly, it's about um, making the decision about your priorities. So here I am in a job that pays well. And so I don't want to leave from that point of view. But uh, it's also a job in which uh, I feel as if um, my talents are neither being respected nor expanded. And uh, I'm at the stage in life when I want to advance in my skill set And that's not happening here. Uh, So is that a priority? Um, The most major example would be, it pays well. They seem to respect me, but they are doing things that are unethical. So I need to go, if that is your priority. So you make the decision on the basis of Um, what seems most important to you, but when you, uh, read the book, you'll find other examples of what I'm referring to and other ways to make the decision, but always remembering that no decision can happen and feel good all over unless the timing is right. So it's a matter of making a decision and aligning ourselves to the timing of the world around us.
0: Are there ever times where it where it won't feel good all over and we'll just have to kind of push through? Do you think or is it that sometimes happens? Yeah,
1: where you have to push through anyway? Yes.
0: So the, so what you're saying is that the, the ideal is that there's this, this full attunement to the, to the decision, but of course, we have to use our discernment around that? hmm And you know, sometimes other people know
1: our timing better than we do. So that would be like the, the boy in high school who's on the football team, and uh, he doesn't think he can be any better than he is, but the coach says, I see much more talent in you than you believe you have. So I'm going to keep putting you in the game in ways that will bring out your skill level. So now the, the coach is seeing your timing better than you could. And when that happens, we, we do want to go with it. So the people who really care about you and support you, the allies around you, when they encourage you, it's really important to pay attention to it. It's not as if you have to slavishly follow it, but uh, it certainly has um, meaning. And so you do want to listen to it. And you can tell the difference between somebody who's just rah-rah about everything And somebody who has really looked into you and knows, uh, yeah, you're ready to step up to the plate. And I support you in doing this. And uh, my comment is based on an intuitive sense about you. When you hear that, uh, I believe it's really important to pay attention. Even though you yourself may doubt it we were brought up to doubt ourselves. We weren't brought up to trust ourselves in many instances. So um, in our sorting process, we're looking for ways to to find a trust in ourselves and
0: in those who care about us. There's a question here from Matthew who says those with a more privileged life often have the option to quote unquote evolve continuously increase their betterment etc however many people suffer trauma poverty bigotry consequently developing an attitude toward inertia and the doldrums that could be seen as heroic when is enduring heroic an accomplishment of the inner life What a great question.
1: And I totally agree with you. Um, With trauma in the air, all bets are off. Our timing is off. And our ability to activate in an evolutionary forward movement has been hobbled by how we were treated. Um, And sometimes uh, all we can do is um, is uh, hang tight until we get the help that we need, usually from therapy to work through our trauma. And uh, Matthew is reminding me of a poem by Emily Dickinson in which she uh, shows um, exactly this. There is a pain so utter that's trauma. There is a pain so utter it swallows substance up, then covers the abyss with trance, so memory can step around across upon it, as one within a swoon goes safely, where an open eye would drop her bone by bone. So, if I let myself really look at this and work on it, I will fragment because I've been so hurt and traumatized. So I'm better off not looking, not addressing, not processing, not trying to resolve because I need to find healing before I can do that. So Matthew's bringing up an important point. I don't know if I fully say that in the book. But um, it certainly is important. So we're going to be respectful of how we were traumatized and how others were traumatized. And uh, it changes um, the, um, the whole idea of going and staying because it places it in a context that Uh, has to be looked at and delicately handled rather than, you know, trying to push yourself too fast or even at all.
0: On the note of pushing too fast, chapter five, and you touched on this at the beginning, how excited you were about exploring the mystery of timing. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the relationship. You cover a lot in the book, this relationship between timing and readiness.
1: That uh,
0: the timing kicks in.
1: And when it kicks in, the universe is saying, you're ready. But you yourself may not feel that you are. And so you uh, can't really take the step, or so you believe. And sometimes um, the universe um, forces you to take the important step. I'll give an example. And sometimes it just uh, lets you miss out. So a simple example would be in The Wizard of Oz. Dorothy knows that she has to go, go away to protect the dog, so she does go. She only gets as far as meeting the person who then will become the wizard. And he convinces her to go back home. In other words, she was ready, timing was right, she was ready, but she just couldn't fully follow through. The wizard only had to say, your aunt needs you. And that, she, that made her go back. But when she did go back and noticed that the whole family was gone, uh, she went into the bedroom and, she, and a tornado came and lifted her up and threw her. Into In other words, the universe stepped in and made it happen. So that happens for us sometimes. We just feel like, hey, I'm suddenly here. And I don't know how I got here, but something happened and put me here. Sometimes it happens like that. And other times that opportunity comes along. Timing was right. You didn't jump on it and uh, it passed you by Uh, why is it that with some people it passes by and with other people uh, they get hurled into what comes next totally mysterious no way of knowing it's just uh the way it happens it's just one of the givens of life that If I say yes to the timing, uh, I move along. If I say no, I will either not move along or something will pat me along at its pace and I'll move anyway. We don't know which kind of a person, we don't know which kind of a person we are. Am I Dorothy? Or am I somebody who has seen everything pass me by? Or at different times of life, you could be one or the other.
0: I just want to remind everyone, we're getting close to the end of our time. Before we get to our closing questions and comments, we've been speaking... Dave Rico about his latest book ready how to know when to go and when to stay and it actually just came out yesterday Um, anybody listening to the recording that was it came out May 17th today's May 18th so it's really exciting to be speaking to you Dave the day after the book release and of course you can purchase that book at uh, Banyan books uh, Banyan.com B-A-N-Y-E-N.com or come and visit us in person seven days a week And of course we have all of Dave's other books as well. He has 20 plus books he's written over the years. So you can check those out as well. A big thanks to our live audience for being here. It's so nice to have your questions and have everyone here live and to our uh, podcast producer and events curator, all of these events, everything that Banyan does with, with these different guests, that's thanks to Jacob. He puts in so much time and work to bring all of us such, such wonderful programming. So a big thanks to Jacob um, and everyone, of course, on the Banyan staff for all that they do. I think we have time for probably one more audience question, Dave. And um, I think this is, this is one maybe to just kind of uh, touch on because it's probably a lot of people wonder this, I would expect. It's from Andre who asks, how do I avoid intellectual dishonesty? That is knowing the difference between what I'm telling myself is good and what is truly good for my happiness. So that's
1: the topic of self-deception, which of course we all engage in at one time or another. (laughs) And my way of dealing with it is very simple. I asked some of my wise friends for feedback, and do you think I'm fooling myself or do you think uh, this is the way to go? Not that you have to follow their advice, But uh, it's good to hear from people who, whose ego is not in the way as our ego might be. Secondly, you want to ask yourself, how often do I engage in wishful thinking and call it hope, when really it isn't? So, um, we don't want to be hard on ourselves that we engage in self-deception. but we do want to notice it whenever we can and um, open ourselves to whatever the truth might be. And secondly, a big part of freeing yourself from self-deception is believing that there's a world of grace around us that wants us to know the truth about ourselves that wants us to know the truth about our place in the world. And to access that Holy Spirit of wisdom is another way of working with self-deception. It would sound something like this. May the Spirit of Truth continually open me to the true path that awaits me. May I be free of self-deception may i be free of wishful thinking may i continually align myself with an unconditional yes to that which needs
0: to happen that's beautiful and i think a perfect note for us to end on dave rico thank you very much for your time and sharing all of your wisdom with us
1: well thank you ross i really appreciate having been here
0: thanks for joining us for branches of wisdom a podcast of banyan books and sound canada's spiritual and healing resource since 1970 our podcast producer is jacob Steele. the show is edited by abdo habani And I'm your host, Ross McKeechee. Watch all our conversations on YouTube by searching for Banyan Books, or listen on your favorite podcast platform. Please subscribe, follow, like, and leave your reviews and comments. We love to hear from you. For all our live events, books, and more, visit us at Banyan.com.